0: If you'll uh, stand with me as we read the word of the Lord to us this morning in Psalm 119, starting in verse 161. And this is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. I rejoice at your word as one who finds great spoil. I hate and despise falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you because of your righteous ordinances. Those who love your law have great peace, and have and nothing causes them to stubble. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and do your te- commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and your testimonies, for all my ways are before you. Lord, I pray that we would treasure your word. Father, because I know that as we treasure your word, our lives will be abiding in you, the true vine. Father, I pray that as we abide in your word, we would experience the peace and joy that comes. Through that. Lord, give us a delight in your word that it would affect every part of our lives. Lord, I pray for our ears this morning that we would hear your words, that we would not just take in seed, but Lord, that there would be a cultivation in our hearts by your Holy Spirit, that it would take root and bring forth fruit in our lives. Lord, I pray for our children that you would even open their ears to hear and understand your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. We come against any uh, distraction or device of the devil to, that would keep us from hearing your word. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. And be seated. This section starts, well, we're two away. This is the second to last sermon in Psalm 119. Um, And we saw last time the, the value of God's word. We saw its power to revive and bring life. Why? Because it's an everlasting word. It's not a word that will fail. It is a word that will last forever. And I believe this section, the Sheen Sin section, which is it's one letter in the Hebrew um, alphabet, but if you move the dot, it changes the pronunciation. So this 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 section, I believe, answers the question: What happens when you believe God's word? is everlasting in our lives. What what happens? And my title is, What I Believe Happens. My title is, Treasured Word Equals Abiding Life. Treasured Word Equals Abiding Life. And we see the psalmist, as he begins this section, he says, princes persecute me without cause or or they're pursuing me and they have no reason they're not pursuing me because I've done anything wrong they're pursuing me just because they want to and it's in vain and that would necessarily for many of us cause us to faint or be fearful right I mean, princes, if we looked in our day and age, we would think the rich and powerful. They're coming after you for no reason at all. Maybe in our world it would be taking you to court for something or um, trying to destroy your life with their influence. That's kind of the day and age that the psalmist lived in. He was a prince as well, right? Because he's the king, you know, we don't know necessarily when he wrote this, but likely it's during his time as a king. So his peers, his powerful peers, are just attacking him without any reason. It's coming from nowhere. And for many of us, if that happened to us, we would be fearful for that reason. But the psalmist is different because... He says, next, but my heart stands in awe of your word. Or literally it is, because of your word, my heart trembles. Why is he trembling? Is he trembling because of these princes, these powerful men who are coming against him? No. He is trembling because he fears God. He's trembling because he knows what God's Word says. So this first section, verses 161, 162, and 163, I believe, speak to the abiding heart. What are the characteristics of an abiding heart that is treasuring God's Word? One, it fears God, it treasures God, and it loves God and His Word. And each verse speaks to that. The next section, 164 to 166, is the abiding life. And that is praiseful, unstumbling, and obedient. And the final two verses is the abiding keeping It's rooted in love and it's intending to please God. And you'll see that as we go. So here in verse 161 we see what is it that the abiding heart fears? Is it princes? No. It made me think about uh, Psalm 118 verse 9. If you just turn there quickly, we're not far from there. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. This is the Psalmist, right? He's this is his life. And then if you turn to one forty six, also not too far away. Psalm one hundred forty six and verse three he says Do not trust in princes, in mortal man in whom there is no sound he doesn't fear these men who have come against him without cause because he knows that they cannot save him nor can they destroy him because his God is faithful and he fears God when you treasure the Word of God. When you begin to realize, as the psalmist did in the race section, the last section that we preached on, when the, we realize that the sum total of God's Word is truth, that He His Word is the epitome of truth, and that that truth is everlasting, then we are not afraid of princes. We're not afraid to be persecuted. Because our heart... Fears the Lord. Because we're, our heart is abiding in His Word. It's where we go. Secondly, in the abiding heart, it treasures something. What does it treasure? Well, we see here in verse 162, he says, I rejoice concerning your word. He rejoices. It brings joy to his heart. The Word of God does. And then he gives us a comparison. He says, Like one who finds great spoil. Where does this joy come from? He doesn't just fear the Lord and he's constantly trembling. Oh no, when's the other shoe going to drop? God's going to destroy me. No, it is a joy-filled fear. This is godly fear. This is God-given fear. It is a faith-filled fear. That's why he can rejoice though his heart trembles at the Word of God. Because his trembling heart is not trembling because he's afraid of God in the sense that He's afraid the other shoe's going to drop and he's, it's going to be over. He fears God and he trembles at God's Word because he knows God will do exactly what he has said he will do. So that's why when he sees the Word of God, he rejoices. He rejoices, what does it say, like one who finds great spoil. And this, this language is very much like war language right we get words like treasure this could be tra- the word spoil can be translated treasure or a, a popular word in history books for a pirate's booty you know what they get when they take another ship a treasure ship and this this picture began to make me think of the pearl of great price. Right? The man found this pearl, then he took, went and sold everything he had so he could buy the land where this pearl was. Because he treasured this pearl. He was willing to sell all to obtain that which he treasured. made me think of a current day event called Black Friday. (laughs) Many of you, now Black Friday starts on Thursday. Why? Because they want to get in the black sooner. That's why. (laughs) Those of you that understand why it's called Black Friday. But there used to be a time when you had to get up and be at the store by a crazy hour because they would open at midnight. I did this once in my life and never again. I went to uh, Best Buy because I wanted something specific. And they had a really, really good price on it. I was not prepared for the cold. Um, It's probably the one and only time that I drank a Red Bull because it was given to me for free. (laughs) And I was exhausted. But during that time until more recently where all these deals are online as much as they are in person, people would go and set aside all this time. Why? Because they were going to get a treasure. Right? They wanted to get that prize. And they were so adamant that people got stumbled over and even killed trying to get this prize. One more Example, Actually, from here in the Word. If you turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 7. 2 Kings chapter 7. Now, this is the time when Samaria is attacking the people of Israel. And there's a great siege going on. And starting in verse 3, we hear this story. Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, why, why do we sit here until we die? No one had any food. People were eating one another's children, literally. And then they'd be like, Oh, I don't know where my kid went. They're hiding their own child. They're, they're making these terrible decisions. So the lepers are like, why are we sitting here to die? We're not getting anything. So they say, if we say we will enter the city, then the famine is in the city and we will die there. And if we sit here, we will die also. Now therefore, come, let us go over to the camp of the Arameans. If they spare us, we will live, and if they kill us, we will but die. We're going to die anyway, so we might as well go into the camp. They arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Arameans. And when they came to the outskirts of the camp of the Arameans, behold, there was no one there. That must have been shocking. Where did everybody go? For the Lord had caused the army of the Arameans to hear a sound of chariots and a sound of horses, even the sound of a great army. So that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the king of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Therefore, they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their donkeys, even the camp just as it was, and fled for their lives. So, you're saying that God's people don't have to turn to the Egyptians and the Hittites to see the victory? God can make our enemies think that we have hired out mercenaries for ourselves. We can trust the Lord. The side note. So then, verse 7 Therefore they arose and fled for their lives. When these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they entered one tent and ate, drank, and carried from there silver and gold and clothes and went and hid them. They returned and entered another tent and carried from them there also and went and hid them. These lepers were like, Whoa, we hit the jackpot! Look at what we found! I mean, just so you know, lepers aren't allowed to be around anybody, and here they're getting all this treasure. But then suddenly their heart began to get pricked. They're like, wait, we're over here (laughs) spoiling this camp, taking the spoil, and there's people in in the city that are dying of hunger. So verse 9, it says, Then they said to one another, We are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. But we are keeping silent. If we wait until morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they came and called the gatekeeper to the city, and they told them, saying, We came to the camp. There was no one there. Everything was as, as it had been. And the gatekeepers called and told it to the king's household, verse 11 Then the king arose in the night and said to his servants, I will now tell you what the Arameans have done. They know that we are hungry. You know, they're hiding. They're they're setting a trap. That's what he's saying. And then one of the servants like, well, I would rather die than continue to believe this. So he says, Please let some men take five of the horses which remain, which are left in the city. So they've eaten all the horses. Um... That's where the expression comes. Right? I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. It's not the amount of food. It's the fact that you're willing to eat a horse. So he says, Behold, they will be in the case like the multitude of Israel who are left in it. Behold, and a multitude of Israel who have already perished. So let us sin and see. They took two chariots with horses and the king sent after the Arameans to go and see. They went after them to the Jordan and behold, all the way was full of clothes and equipment which the Arameans had thrown away in their haste. And they returned to the king and told him. And so the people went out and plundered the camp of the Arameans. Can you imagine what joy and delight came to their hearts when they Realized that there was food and drink and everything that they did not have at that moment available? It was so delightful that there was a man who had said, Oh, you're lying to the prophet. What ended up happening? He got trampled at the gate, according to God's promise, according to prophecy. So he saw the food and stuff coming in, but he didn't get to eat a single bite Because he died. So this question has come to my mind. So, we desire the Word of God, but do we desire it? Do we rejoice in God's Word like those who find great spoil? Do we treat it like a pirate's treasure? I think of, I don't know if you remember the the message I taught where we talked about the treasure out west. Where the man hid it and hundreds of thousands of people were searching for this treasure. Some even dying, trying to find this treasure. We have a treasure right here. This is the truth that will last. That, those physical treasures will not last. They will not Make it past this age. It will all burn. But we have the truth. An everlasting truth. Do we treasure it? Do we rejoice and delight in God's word like we have treasure? Or do we treat God's word like a terrible medicine that the doctor gave? Now, I, I I remember Mr. Hamilton talking about the the terrible tasting medicines that his childhood doctor had. It was one one two or three of the pills, and all of them tasted awful, like black licorice. Apparently, I I don't know. I didn't live in that time, but I I think I think of that. Oftentimes, we treat God's word as well. If we have to, I'll I'll take some of this. But God's word should be such a delight for us as believers that it actually is the first and only thing we run to. We want it because it is our treasure. It is what brings us joy. It is what we trust with all our hearts because we are abiding, our hearts, our innermost being is abiding in His Word. I'm not preaching this message because I believe I've arrived on this issue because I haven't. This is, this is the reason, this message today is the reason I started Psalm 119. I want this to be my treasure. I don't want it to be a tertiary delight of my heart. I want it to be my soul, purpose, and hope. I want to spend my time Knowing his word, and I know for us as a church, if God's word is not our treasure, we will not experience his abiding presence in our lives. It's just not going to happen. And you say, Oh, how do you know that? Well, look with me at John chapter 15. This isn't just me. Trying to make up things. Starting in verse 1, John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Interestingly, the word here affects cleansing. Verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. So the... Jesus is saying, unless if you're not abiding in me, you will not have fruit. And what is what does the Bible say? When Jesus comes back, it's he's looking for fruit, not just faith. Faith will result in fruit. If the the vine and the branch are if the branch is not putting forth fruit, what does it say? It will be cut off and thrown into the fire. So without abiding in him, verse 6, if anyone is does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. So how does he know that we're not abiding in him? There's no fruit. Right? If he's abiding in him, then the, the fruit will be there. And they gather them and cast them in the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. If God's word is not abiding in us, we will not only not have fruit, but we won't know how to pray. How can can Jesus say... Ask whatever you wish. Why? Because God's Word has so permeated our being, is so indwelled us that God's Word is what we desire. God's will is what we desire. And we stop buying Joel Olstein's garbage that's going to burn and we start buying what God's Word says. I'm, I'm not trying to be hateful to Joel Olstein, but what he is preaching will burn. It's going to be an ash heap. But God's word will not burn. It will last forever. It has value that cannot be taken away. It is worthy to be followed. And therefore, it should be rejoiced in. It should be treasured. To our innermost being. I think this the psalmist is not accidentally talking about the heart. He's talking about the heart because that's where it starts. You will not have an abiding life unless your heart abides in the Word. Your life will not abide in the Word unless your heart has been changed. You can act like a Christian. You can do all the right things. But in the end, you can get to the end of your life... And think, I wasted everything. Why? Because you were just doing things. You, weren't, you didn't live for Christ. You were living for self. You were trying to please your brothers and sisters at the church. You, you did all the things you did because you wanted to be recognized. Not because you treasured the Word of God. If our fear of God and His Word does not translate into joy at the finding of God's Word and spending time in God's Word, then we're missing it. Because the fear of the Lord without joy is not abiding in Christ, abiding in the Word. Thirdly, the abiding heart loves. Verse 163. Falsehood I hated and abhorred. This is my translation. Not necessarily the NASB. I think it's stronger. Because he says, I hate and despise falsehood in the NASB. He's saying, Falsehood I hated and abhorred. To the uttermost. It's like double negative, negative, negative as bad as it gets. I hate falsehood. Why? Why would he do that? Verse, second half, he says, But your law I have loved. His heart, to his innermost being, to his soul, loves the law of God. We cannot love the Lord and not hate falsehood. If we love God's Word, His law, we will hate lies and falsehood. This is the result. You can't love falsehood and love God's law at the same time. It's not possible. Just think in your own lives. When you choose to sin... What is the first thing you want to do if you want to keep it from somebody? You want to lie. Right? Because you are loving your sin more than you're loving God's Word. More than you're loving the guilt that has come in God's conscience on your hearts. It is because of our love or the psalmist's love for God's law that we hate Falsehood. So if our heart is abiding in God, it will fear in righteous ways God's Word. Not men. Not princes. It will treasure the Word of God. And it will love God's Word. All those things. That is a picture of a heart that is abiding in God and His Word. And this will lead to an abiding life. Starting in verse 164. And this life is praiseful. Verse 164, he says, Seven times a day I have praised you, on account of the judgments of your righteousness or then B says here seven times a day i praise you because of your righteous ordinances so is the psalmist literally got his day mapped out and he's worshiping seven times a day is is that a literal meaning of this verse no i don't believe so seven times is a Number. So the number seven in the, the Hebrew is a number of completion, a fullness, of the perfect number. The idea is that the psalmist is constantly praising the Lord. He's constantly praising the Lord. He's not just on Sunday and Wednesday or whenever you meet. No, he is praising the Lord at all times. That's what he's saying. I am constantly praising you in my life. Does that mark our life? Is that a characteristic of our lives? Are we constantly thanking and praising God for what He has done in our lives because of His Word? Because if our hearts are abiding in Him, and His Word, then our lives should show forth that abiding. Right? Because it moves from the heart to the life. Do we praise God because of His righteous judgments? Or His righteous ordinances? Do we praise Him Lord, I am thankful that you are righteous in what you say and do. I can say there are times in my life it's hard to praise the Lord when things don't work the way I think they should. But the psalmist is saying, I do this all the time. Because he he realizes that God's way of doing things is best. Right? All things... Work together for good to those who love the Lord. Not for our best thoughts, but our good, our long term eternal good. God is working every event in our lives for our eternal good because we love Him. It's not always going to feel good, but. We should with the psalmist be constantly praising Him. Because we know His Word is true. We know His Word is everlasting. We know that when we trust God, His Word will not burn. What He said will happen. What He said will come to pass. This is what our world wants us to forget. This is what the spirit of this world is proclaiming as not true. They want us to believe that God's word is no longer true. Why? Because they know if we trust God's word, we will not fall for the devil's lies. You want to start falling for the devil's lies? Stop believing God's word. It's inevitable. You say, well, I I just don't believe this little portion. I promise you, in ten years, you're going to be about full on, throwing this in the fire. Acting like it's not a value. God's word is the only thing that you and I should treasure. Not that we don't treasure our wives and our children in a certain way, but this should be our supreme treasure because it is the word of God. And if God is our tre- our greatest treasure, then his word should be of great value to us. Just like you know back in back in my young days, <laughs> I was a, a great poet <laughs> for only one person. Uh, so Megan has kept my poems that I wrote to her. Why? Because she she loves me, and she treasures those words that i wrote about her and to her god's word is his is his love letter to us it is telling us why he created us what the world was created for it is a it's a a book to show us what life on earth can be in him and for his glory and in the end he gets all the glory So an abiding life is not only praiseful, it is unstumbling. see that in verse 165. Great peace is to those who love your law. They do not have a stumbling block. I've translated this literally because that's what it's saying. There is not a stumbling block in their way. It's not that they don't that nothing calls them to stumble. There is no stumbling block. There's nothing for them to stumble over. Why? Because what is the stumbling block for unbelievers? Sin? Things they love other than God? Right? Well, I, I can't, I can't become a Christian because of those Christians. Well, they don't understand the gospel. I can't become a Christian because that means I have to leave my living girlfriend. Stumbling block. I can't do that because then my friends won't be friends with me anymore. That's another stumbling block. We, When we live for ourselves and we do not love God more than anything else, there will be stumbling blocks to following God and we will give up and quit. But when God's law is what we love, when God himself is the love of our hearts, the treasure supreme, then there is no stumbling block. Because stumbling blocks come into our lives because it takes more value and is more valuable, valuable in our eyes than the Word and the presence of God. You choose sin and you stumble because there's something missing. You're delighting in the wrong thing. Whether it's the fleeting pleasure of sin, a feeling, a desire, a delight, whatever it may be, it is a stumbling block because you love it more than God. You say, well, how is it that love of God and His law bring such peace? When you know there's nothing to fall over because you've confessed your sins to the Lord and you're walking in holiness, how can you not be at peace no matter what comes? Persecution isn't a stumbling block because you're following God. Your love is Him, not men. Not your own bodies even. You're willing to lay down your lives because you love Him and His Word with all your heart. You're abiding in Him. Your heart is sold out to God. And so your life is expended for His glory. So your life, if it is abiding in God, if your heart is abiding in God, it will result in a life that is praiseful, unstumbling, and obedient. 166 says, I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and do your commandments. Why does he hope? Why is his hope in the salvation of the Lord? Because he has confidence in the Lord. He has confidence that God will do what he says he will do. If he didn't believe God's word, he would have no reason to hope in the Lord. That's why he's not afraid of princes, because God is his salvation. God's word is where he's placed his heart and his trust. And what does he do if he hopes? What is the result of hope in the Lord? Doing. Action. That's why James says, you say I have faith, but you have no works. I tell you what, I'll show you I have faith by my works. If you hope in the Lord, it will always, always, always result in obedience. Not obedience to man. Not obedience to government. Obedience to Christ. Obedience to the Lord. To His commands. That doesn't mean God doesn't command that we obey to a certain extent men and governments. But our final authority is Jesus Christ The Word made flesh. Are we going to obey Him? Is He truly our hope of salvation? Or are we hoping somewhere else or hoping in something else? There are lots of comic book heroes in our world. Very similar to the Greek and pagan gods of our world. All men like us, but they have superpowers. But they all have a fatal flaw. And they all can die. Well, I, risen, I serve a risen Savior. He has zero flaw. He is a hope that can be trusted. He will never die. He will never fail. He will never say something and not complete it. But the Word of God must be believed. God requires it. And when we believe God's Word, we act upon that Word. It is the result of faith. Those two are intertwined. You say you love the Lord, obey the Lord. Very similar picture in marriage, right? My wife says she loves me, but if, if she's unwilling to submit to me, not to ignorant demands and and things like that. But if she's unwilling to submit to my authority as her husband, is that love or is that selfishness? Constantly in the New Testament we see marriage as a picture of Christ and His church. If we as a church say we love the Lord and yet we're unwilling to live a holy life, What are we proclaiming? We have a second love. We've gone after someone else. We're not following Christ. We're following another love. Because God has called us to holiness. I'm not saying that we don't fall into sin. What I'm saying is we choose to live an unholy life. That we choose to wallow in sin. Obedience will always be the result of hope in the Lord and love for His Word. Finally, if our heart is abiding, constant, and our life is abiding as a result of a constant heart that's abiding in God, then verse 167 and 68 we will have an abiding that keeps or an abiding keeping that's rooted in love and intended to please. Verse 167 My soul keeps your testimonies. My soul. This is Just a very similar picture. He's talking about the innermost being, the same as the heart. It's always been the imagery of the Old Testament. The heart is the core of who you are. The heart stops, you're done. The soul, impossible to destroy. My soul keeps your commandments or your testimonies. When he says keep, what does he he mean? This word kept. We've we've seen this word many, many times in Psalm 119. And this is the idea of guarding, intentional guarding of God's Word, which requires hearing, applying, and actually doing God's Word. It's not an accident that we obey God's Word. But what is the root of this obedience? Is it fear that God will punish us if we don't? Maybe partially, but what is the main motivating factor? It's rooted in love, right? He says it here in the second half. I love them greatly. Or the NASB says, I love them exceedingly. I love your testimonies. That's why I have kept them. It's the result of love. This this section right here is, in my opinion, one of the most beautiful sections of Psalm 119. Because this we see the picture of God's grace working in our hearts, His transformation of our hearts, but we also see what happens, how obedience and grace intertwine. It's always the result of love that is given by God. We love Him because He first loved us. This passage throws all this free grace junk out the window. The idea that there's no requirement for holy living. This passage is so clear that we as Christians... Because we love God, because we are abiding in Him, our lives will be lived and keeping His testimonies because we love them exceedingly. They bring life. They bring hope. They bring peace. And they bring joy. Those are all mentioned in this section. If our walk with God, if our keeping of God's Word, our constant keeping of God's Word, is not motivated by love, it is legalism. And it will fall away. When we stand before the Lord, and if we have only done it because we are trying to earn our salvation, it will be useless. It will be an ash heap. But if it is rooted and grounded in God and His word and love for Him, that is what lasts forever. That is everlasting. But it's not just rooted in love. It is also with a desire to please. Let me see this in 168. I keep your precepts and your testimonies. Why does he do this? For all my ways are before you. Again, he's keeping, he's guarding God's word, his precepts, his testimonies. Why? What does he know about God? He knows that nothing is hidden from the Lord. Augustine said, I may hide you from my eye, but my, but not myself, from your eye. Let me say that again. I may hide you from my eye, but not myself from your eye. We can act like God doesn't exist. We can act like God can't see it. Oh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not looking for God. I'm, I'm trying not to see God, but. No matter what we do, we cannot hide from the Lord. The psalmist understands God knows everything. He's omniscient, all knowing. And I know He sees all that I do, and that is why I kept your precepts. He wants to please the Lord. He desires with all his heart to please the Lord. And that is why he has kept the word of God. Love desires to please. Right? I want to please my wife, so I do things that maybe I wouldn't naturally do because I want to please her. And she does the same for me. I believe it's because of love, because she says that, right? But if we say we love Him, yet we do not seek to please Him, what does that say about our lives? A life of love always leads to action. I think that is the clear picture of what we are seeing today. When we treasure God's Word, It becomes an abiding part of our lives. It is a constant part of our hearts. It's constantly teaching us the fear of God, treasuring God's Word and loving His Word. It expands to our lives. It it transforms our lives so that we are praising Him at all times. We're, We're not stumbling at every offense. And we're obedient to Him. And it's all motivated by love and a desire to please Him. This is the picture of a Christian life that delights in God's Word. And this is what I want for myself. And I pray that as long as I preach here, that this is where I find myself treasuring the Word and honoring Him through it because I'm abiding in Him and not in the ways of this world. Let's pray. Lord, increase our love for You and Your Word. Help us to experience the truth of Your Word each and every day. Give us wisdom so that we can encourage one another in our walks with you. Give us courage, Lord, to honor you, even as we think through all that you have done for us. Let our lives proclaim your word with joy. Let our lives show the world that Your Word is to be trusted and delighted in. Lord, let our lives show that we love You because we do what You command out of love and a desire to please You. May our hearts, Lord, be Yours totally. Lord, if our lives do not reflect the words of this passage this morning. I pray that you would open our eyes. Show us, Lord, those areas of our lives that we have allowed other lovers to come in. Other passions that are of no value. Lord, let us love you with all of our hearts. Guide us by your Holy Spirit. Grant us wisdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.